Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening. Uh, welcome back to our next study. Uh, we're going to be studying chapter 11 of Biblical Church tonight, possibly chapter 12 as well. Uh, we've been we've been putting in a lot of time uh, going back from the way back in the history of the early church. We've we've covered that history. And then uh, for the last several weeks, we were covering the the four pillars of the early church. And so uh, we you know, we, we did the Apostles Doctrine, Breaking of Bread. Uh, excuse me, Apostles Doctrine and Fellowship, Breaking of Bread and Prayer. And so we covered those four topics and showed the nuts and bolts of what uh, the early church did, the mainstays that were there. Now, tonight we're going to get into the meeting proper uh, about what the early church did when they gathered. Now, as far as I can see, the only insight biblically that we have to that would be in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Now, let me just testify just for a minute before we jump into that 1 Corinthians 14 and give a little warning that first off, you cannot underestimate or under, uh, don't underestimate what I'm saying about relationship. Don't just assume you got this. I, I can tell you right now, after 16 years of this, the biggest issue you're going to have is when the light of fellowship is shined on people around you, including whoever is hosting this meeting. And even you, if a, if a pastor decides to go this route, I can assure you, you're going to have your relational capacities tested. And uh, just remember that you don't have to fool with any religious programs. You're always dealing with people. And so that's a wonderful thing to, to actually deal with people. But people get messy and it's going to test you. And if you don't really love people, it's going to be found out real soon. And I've seen, I've seen multitudes just go, oh, we love house church. And then after a while, they just kind, of, just kind of ease out the way. And a matter of fact, they just really don't like the light of fellowship. It, it's, it's that piercing. And so that's an issue to be. And the other issue that I want to uh, just put a warning out there with is this. Please do not transfer Constantine and Augustine into the house. With embarrassment, let me testify. When we first started our churches, I remember we were in my house. We had about 18 people when we started. And uh, I remember we would set all my furniture up in rows. I mean, we had pews and we had, I mean, uh, benches from my table. and We had uh, chairs and we had couches, we, anything we could find. But everybody had to sit in a row because, you know, that's how, uh, that's God. I mean, that was just how it is in the tradition. And I had a pulpit up in front and literally we would hold a worship service. And, you know, it went in from my kitchen to my living room. And uh, we, we tried to be just like the real churches, you know. We didn't think we were legitimate until we got a building you know when you get a building then you're a real church a legitimate well let me say this uh if i knew what i know now i'd have never started one building i wouldn't have went in one time not one day not one moment would i've wasted and squandered on that in my entire life i would have literally stayed with relational ministry and so i, I testify and talk to people that say oh our church started in a house and now we have blah blah x amount of members so it's like well, you weren't even considering what I'm talking about. It's not like we can't 
get a few, some people together and have a crowd. That's not the issue here. The issue is that we're trying to employ all the body of Christ back into the priesthood of every believer. And you're going to find that out real soon. And when we begin to understand this apostolic model of the early church, literally the Bible became a new book to me. Because when you try to apply what was written in the relational model in the early days, and then it shifted to a congregational model in, 400 a, in, in 317 AD, and then a new theology came to fit that false structure about 80 years later, then all of a sudden, then the, everything gravitates to the exact same thing and all becomes an old covenant situation. In the new covenant, we're trying to recapture what the early church had. And I can tell you, folks, you can dream of this and romanticize it all you want, but ain't nothing going to change back to that way until we change something. And it will change the traditional roles of pastor. By the way, pastor is only mentioned one time in the New Testament, and now it's been so overemphasized uh, uh, that it seems there is no other gift. Even people who believe there are no gifts of the Spirit anymore believe there's the gift of pastor. I don't know why that one stayed. But it is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. If you have your little white book here, the Biblical Church, I'm on page 111, 111. I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety because it's that important. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm. The, the, the King James, by the way, says every one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it, there be two or at the most three, each in turn and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by first, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it to you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. In the scriptures, there are several, you know, group or, you know, contexts of scripture that are so impressive, like Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five through seven. Very impressive run of scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, all the way through chapter 8. Very impressive. So full of meat and theology. This is another one from 1 Corinthians 11, about midway the chapter, all the way through chapter 14. This is so insightful as he speaks of the communion table, then the gifts of the Spirit, then the gift of love. I mean, ultimately love. And then he gives the nuts and bolts of the house church meeting in chapter 14. I think it's a phenomenal run of scripture and so insightful to our subject, 
biblical church. And if we're going to have church like the Bible did it, this is it. Now, can you imagine trying to apply what was said in these passages we just read to 100 people or to 200 people? Worse than that, to a mega church, a thousand people. All may prophesy. We're going to be here a while, folks. Every one of you has. Now, this has been dealt with by having congregational singing and and the whatnot. But listen, each of you, every one of you has fill in the blanks. And let's go back to our our subject and let's look at it carefully. It says back up in verse 26, uh, 26. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, what I mean, how's what's it like when you come together? Okay, how is it? Every one of you, look at that carefully. Whenever you got every one of you has a psalm. Okay, now in 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 our churches, it's not unusual for someone to read a psalm or a portion of a psalm, and uh, or take that into an, a more contemporary arena, or maybe a hymn, songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, look, we don't limit it to any of that. Maybe we'll sing. Maybe we won't. You know what? It don't really matter. And I can hear the sacred cows. Like, oh, you would do a church. You can have church without singing. <gasps> well, yeah, you can. As a matter of fact, that's one aspect of worship. But there are many, many more aspects of worship. Uh, basically, we, we can worship through witnessing. We can worship, just bow down and worship God. We can fall in reverential fear and bow and worship. We don't need singing every time we meet. As a matter of fact, think about the Passover uh, or the Last Supper. Uh, at the end of the Last Supper, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So, wow, that depressed most charismatics out there. Oh, we only sang one song. I don't even like that song. That's would have been the... Because we're so addicted to soulish music. The churches today have switched worship to entertainment. And so we have these professionally polished people orchestrated, I mean, down to the T. And the, 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 the band, the, 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 the worship team, the choir, they are so polished. They are so professional. They are so exact. Okay, and I understand excellence and all that. But let me tell you something. It is not able to be duplicated. And so we have this um, un, unrealistic way of holding church and multiplying church without using multiple millions of dollars to start each church. It's the most foolish thing I've ever seen. There's a guy uh, in the Philippines um, named, uh, give me a second, Charles Brock. He was a church planner and he understood the principles that I'll be talking about next week on the person of peace. Brother Brock would go in there and he would literally pray in, an, in a new area and he would find a person who was seeking peace and he would join himself to that person. And he would literally stay with that person. He would go in there and begin to develop relationship and they would hold services in that person's house, saved, unsaved, didn't matter to him at all. And if they had Ability to sing, they would sing. If they didn't have a candle or a light, they didn't have one. They just, he never brought one outside prop into the meeting. They used whatever was there and literally whoever was there and that became their church. He, on average, in his whole stay in his missionary work in the Philippines, would plant a church, one church every six months with no money. But now we have to get millions, literally millions of dollars, sink them right in debt, right up front, and then beg for money the rest of your entire time to pay for this 
what? A building? It really ain't the house of God. I'm just going to say that. Let me reiterate that. The church buildings are not the house of God. We're the house of God. We're the temple of the living God. The real house of God, the only temple that I know of is in heaven. And everything on earth is the patterns of the, of the true. The real one is up in heaven. The Bible says even right now, if Jesus were on earth right now, he would not be a priest. He would not do the earthly ministry of that because he is the high priest seated at the right hand of God at this point. We don't need another one. We don't need to keep duplicating that. Let's get back to it. Look carefully. Whenever you come together, each of you, brethren, every one of you has a psalm and a teaching. Now, let's talk about teaching for a minute in the house church. Now, how's this going to be done? Now, remember, our expectation is we have to have a professional, polished speaker who gets up there and has a perfect sermon and it's, it's delivery is great. And he's a he or she is an excellent communicator. And, you know, that is the expectation of preaching today. All right. Now, let me just get this square with you that that is the Constantine model. That was not the model of the early church. It just was not it. And I can tell you right now, you can have a house church without a polished teacher in that house church. Now, you say, well, what are we going to eat? Let me, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, until I come, give attendance to reading. What is wrong with a group of people who get together and read the Bible together in context? That might be the first time they ever discovered the context of the Bible. What's wrong with that? So, well, they might get into error. Let me tell you how many preachers I know that are in error. Most of them. If you follow the, 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 the traditional structure in church, you're in that era for sure. So I, I, most preachers have some error in them. Uh, you say, well, there might, you might get wildfire. You might get a devil. You might. Well, how, how many preachers have you known have fallen and, and created havoc in whole regions, towns, cities, and even nations? Now, a church member might mess up. You could get a, a, a creepy person in church who messes up. But you know what? That, it, it makes a little ripple and it's gone. A teacher. Now, I think it's wonderful if there's a gift of teacher there, of teaching there. And that teacher should be prepared and bring a message. It's prepared, a prepared teacher. Nothing wrong with that. We do it all the time. I do it all the time in house churches. As a matter of fact, if I show up, people kind of expect it from me. So I do. We teach. But again, there's nothing wrong at all with agreeing as a house church and saying, hey, why don't we get together and read the Sermon on the Mount? Why don't we get together and read uh, Romans 8 or Romans 5 through 8? Let's get together and read a whole book. Let's read a whole one of the four Gospels. Let's read the book of Mark or John. And they talk it through the whole way. What's wrong with that? Well, somebody would need to expound on that. Why? How come? You see, most of the false doctrine today, people do theological somersaults to, well, what the scripture's really saying there. I'm like, what's wrong with what it's actually saying? Why are you going to tell me? It? I love it when somebody said the Greek language, the Hebrew says, and, and it's an English dude who don't speak either Hebrew or Greek. And if they did, they learned it in America. And so I'm not impressed. Read your Bible. It's good. Bi the Bible's good, folks. It is the complete 
Un, in, it's the inerrant word of God. And if you can't take that as our authority, what can we take? Hmm? Some American dude who learned foreign languages? I don't think so. Read your Bible. God has preserved his word. You don't think God can preserve his word? There's some fine minds have combed through these Bibles and they're still okay. Is there some deeper things that can be found? Yeah, they're there. But let me tell you something. I remember when I was coming to Christ, I was reading a book called The Open Bible. Let me tell you, I, I, it's probably an error to even call that a Bible. No, excuse me, what the open, it was the Living Bible. I'm, I'm sorry, the Living Bible. It was like a hip-hop cool, like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, brother, man. It was like hippie Bible. And I can remember, I, read, I would get under such conviction, the Holy Ghost could speak through that. And somebody come along and say, you didn't call on the name of Yeshua, so you probably ain't calling him right. I'm like, Lord, I called on the name of Jesus 40, almost 41 years ago, and he saved me, delivered me, set me free, healed me, gave me the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, gifts, and I'm speaking, preserved me all this time. I probably did it wrong. Oh, I'm so sorry. I love it when an English dude says, you need to say Yeshua. Okay, we're going to put a heavy pronunciation here and it'll make you feel better. Come on, man. Listen carefully. Read your Bible. God has given it to us in English and many other languages. Read your Bibles together. Stay with me. Y'all getting mad at me out there in TV land? That's a, I don't care. Look, it says every one of you has a psalm. I'm just going to walk right through it right, right here. Give me, give me one second. Has a, okay, here we go. Every one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue. Whoa, wait a minute. Now, I know there's a big old audience out there that says, well, the tongues are not for today. If you speak in tongues, you might get a demon because they're not for today. You know, the gifts passed away with the apostle. Okay. Which gift stayed and why do you get to pick and choose which one stayed? And by the way, I speak in tongues, so deal with it. Speaking in tongues. Now you say, I went to a meeting one time. I heard somebody praying in tongues so that, that nobody interpreted. See, those meetings, those meetings will get you full of devils. You'll get the demons. Really? So let me just show you something. Speaking in tongues is still a gift of the Holy Spirit. I love a person who says, I believe every word in that Bible. And you say, well, hey, well, the gifts of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. They spoke in tongues when they got the Holy Ghost. Well, that is done away with. So you don't believe every word of the Bible. You don't believe it's for today. You see, that's Augustinian theology, whether you know it or not. Go back. You're in rebellion to the Pope. Go back and be a Roman Catholic if you're going to buy into that. That's Augustinian Roman Catholicism. Now, let's just stay with it. The tongues, you say, well, if a person brings a message to a group in tongues, then that must be interpreted. Now, remember, it's not a translation. It's an interpretation. Remember that. So if a person takes the meeting and gives a tongue, forcefully brings a message in tongues where everyone in that room has to pay attention to what that tongue being taught, then the gift of interpretation will be there. I'm, I'm certain it'll be there. And so when that interpretation comes, it's a, it's a real phenomenon that literally will increase faith. It literally says tongues are for a sign to an unbeliever. And you could be sitting there in unbelief and a miraculous tongue comes and then the, in, the interpretation comes and boy, what it does to the spirit whenever that comes is just a tremendous thing. Now, tongues plus interpretation is equivalent to prophesying. 
And we'll get back to that in a minute. But I just want you to say, let me let, look at a, a verse for just one second. First Corinthians 14 verses one through four. Could we could we look at that? It's actually in the in the back of this book, if you want to read it there. On page 114 at the bottom, it says, pursue, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, let's, let, all, right, all you theologians out there, listen carefully. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. If I'm praying in tongues, and you say, well, you didn't interpret. I ain't talking to you, Hoss. I'm talking to God. Would you please leave me alone? You don't even know what you're saying. Good, I might mess it up. The Holy Ghost knows how to pray, I think. As a matter of fact, my Bible teaches me that any groaning, God can interpret groanings and tears. God can interpret the sighing of the heart. Like, he's, like God is an Anglo-American, European, white dude. God can talk. God can understand anything. He knows the language of the heart. And when you got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost that knows the language of God's heart. Well, you didn't interpret. Some of you who have been interpreting really ought to stop. Because modern interpretations are really found wanting. Listen carefully. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I love what my old buddy, Mr. Uh, Brother Dick Simmons used to say. He said, yeah, uh, Terry, uh, tongues are the smart bombs of God. And literally, when we begin to pray in tongues and folks, when the when the when the house church is gathered and someone takes the forefront and begins to pray or to prophesy and the power of God comes on that person to lead off in the prayer meeting and everyone joins in in a concert of praying in the Holy Spirit. It's one of the greatest phenomenons and faith builders that I've ever witnessed in my life. It's worth a million of your sermons of the biggest professor smell fungus sermons. I don't care who you are. Uh, that is better than anything. Come on, boy. Might get a demon. Isn't that amazing? Stay with me. Look at it. Everyone, you have a tongue, have a revelation. Now, I love this one about revelation. And, 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 uh, and so if you look at the gifts of the spirit, there are three revelatory gifts. One of them would be the discerning of spirits. The other one would be another one would be the um, uh Words of wisdom and words of knowledge. So those three in particular are the revelatory gifts. And so when you look at those ideas of employing revelation, the Apostle Paul in first and Ephesians one uh, verses uh, somewhere around 15 and following, he said that his prayer for the Ephesian church was this. He said, this is my prayer. He said that that uh, that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just give you some wisdom and revelation, the spirit of it, seeming like a flow of this, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of the uh, and, and the knowledge of Christ and that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened that we might see. 
that we might see and understand from the heart, the understand, the, un, the eyes of the understanding in our heart would be enlightened. See, revelation is better than a then, then tons of, of Bible knowledge in your head. Let the revealing in the heart where the curtain is drawn back, the veil is ripped away, and you can see into the heavenlies, man. This is revelatory. This is the revelation from God. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And look, it, and I'll tell you one better than, than figuring out demons. Oh, there's a demon. There's a demon. Look, when... The greatest thing that, that has happened to me in, in house church is the discerning of spirits to discern the body of Christ. I'd rather discern who has what Holy Ghost gift than try to figure out devils. Come on, boy. Let's get the real deal. This is for today. And let every man and every, bit, every devil be a liar. These gifts are for today. I don't care. Who's saying they ain't? They're lying. They are literally a devil in disguise. You say, well, <gasps> brother this or brother that. I don't care. Bring them on. I will look him right in the eye and I'll say, you a lying devil. My Bible said it. It ain't doing, you ain't going to do away with it. Period. Are y'all in shock out there in radio land or whatever that is? Look, keep with me. Paul said that the eyes of the understanding would be enlightened. You might know three things. What is the hope of the calling? What is the riches of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the same power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Let me tell you, folks, God wants us to see resurrection power in our lifetime. And the closer we get to the end, who would think we don't need gifts? I need every gift of the Holy Ghost I can get. We need a million apostles out there. Preaching like food, starting churches everywhere. We need a million apostolic prophetic workers who are laying the foundation of Christ in every home we can get. A million, a billion of them. Man, the more the merrier. Would to God that all of his people were prophets. Hallelujah. Stay with me. I get excited about this. This, this is church, boy. A revelation or an interpretation. We already spoke about that. Let all things be done for edification. I love this word. Let all things be done for edification. The ultimate period in this paragraph is this. Let all things be done to edification. That word edification, oikodomeo. Here I am, redneck, white boy, saying oikodomeo, Greek word. Two compound word, oiko, oikos, oikos. That word we name our whole church, oikos ministry. Oikos. Domeo, builder, house builder, to build the house, to build up the house. Oikodomeo, literally, the picture of that is literally the vision of what every house church should be looking for. That the flow of the Holy Spirit would go through every member of the oikos. Listen carefully. That everyone be, last Sunday we started a brand new house church. Somebody shout out there in Facebook land. Brand new house church. Two young fellas. I mean, young guys. Bringing them scriptures, man. I was like, come on, boy. That's what I'm talking about. It's their meeting too. Young people have the same spiritual needs as older people. Exact same. They're just not as 
soulishly developed as we are. Some of us. And the point is, we have to literally understand that everybody in that meeting, my Bible says that, that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit. He did that 2000 years ago on the day of Pentecost and on your sons and on your daughters, he would pour out his spirit and they would prophesy and on your men servants and on the maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit and they will prophesy young and old near and far rich or poor. It makes no difference male or female, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh and let everybody prophesy. And the spirit of prophecy ain't fortune telling. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the more we talk about Jesus, the more we are prophesying. And let me tell you, it ain't just about what he did in the past. It's what he's doing now and his soon return. And the more we talk about that, we build each other up and say, wait for it. He's coming Wait for it. Wait for it. He's all oh, one day. The clouds are going to peel back and he's coming through. But right now he's given us the Holy Ghost to keep us. Keep walking, folks. Strengthen one another with these words. Come on, man. Edification is the absolute goal of every house church. And listen, please don't try to define house church by your Sunday meeting or whatever day your group decides to meet. It's the relationships that is the house church. It's the friendships that are built because these outer interactions are going out on every day, daily and prayerfully. They're meeting together, they eat together, they pray together, they vacation together, they, 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 they hang out together. Oh, oh, come on. And that begins to define our meetings, not vice versa. Hallelujah. Now, look carefully at it. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be by two or the most by three. Each in turn, let one interpret. So if we're having people who are bringing messages in tongues, and when I was in Bible college, this used to happen pretty regular, and the, the tongue would come, and boy, then the interpretation would come, and it was almost like it started happening everywhere, but then we'd, they'd call it off. But also the spirit of prophecy would fall, and, and boy, one would begin to prophesy, then another. It's a beautiful thing. And somebody said, it said, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other. I've never, I look, I've been doing this a long time. I've never been in a room where there were three actual prophets in the room. Prophesying. Not one time. Okay. Now, if three prophets showed up, my goodness, pick one and let's sit there and wait. Or let's have three meetings. Let's hear from each of the prophets. But the fact is, as we deal with the idea of the office of the prophet or the person prophesying here, I believe the context is showing us that he's talking about people who are prophesying. Every one of you could. We all may prophesy that all may learn. And what are we learning? Are you teaching doctrine through prophesying? No, 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 no. What we're what we're learning is the flow of the spirit, what the spirit is saying to the churches. And when everybody comes forward with the testimony, God is saying this. God showed me this in scripture. The spirit showed me this the other day. And he's just been speaking to my heart about this. And so this happens all the time. And, and what's really cool is when people begin to share that as the meeting progresses, the similarities are uncanny. And how often it is that it that everyone, the, uh, there's only one Holy Ghost. And if we listen, he's saying one thing. He's not schizophrenic. 
He's saying, well, if we'll listen, we'll hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches in this hour. Stay with it. Let the prophet speak two or three. <clears throat> Look at this carefully. Let, uh, this is verse 29. Let the prophet speak to us. Let me back up just a second. If, if, if tongues are, are, are being interpreted, stop it at three. I mean, basically, you don't want the whole meeting to be tongues and interpretations. That's what, basically what he's saying. The apostle in another place says, I would rather speak five words in my own language than 10,000 words in another tongue. And so we should be sensitive to that fact. As a matter of fact, let me say this about sensitivity. We really need to be very sensitive about what the Spirit's doing. I've been in meetings where the Holy Spirit is flowing. And I mean, we've just had a word and it may be pick. It might be a word on faith or a word on love or a word. the Holy Ghost just gave a word. And then all of a sudden somebody speaks up. Well, you know what happened the other day at work? We was eating a sandwich and take the thing. I'm like, what is wrong with you? How can we be that insensitive what the spirit's saying? And when the Holy Ghost, I shut my mouth. The Holy Ghost has us. Stay still. Don't let that happen. Whoa, stop, stop. You can't say that right now. You say that later when we're all hanging out. Don't do that. I don't want to hear about Uncle Jim's fishing trip. People in here going, we know what you're talking about. Don't do that. Be sensitive to what the Spirit's saying. <clears throat> you understand that we are looking for dialogue. We are looking and encouraging every person to put in, have input. But folks, we're not here to just have the flights of someone's imaginations run wild. Someone who just want, thinks that everything that runs through their head is God. That ain't God. That's your undisciplined head. And let me show you this next part. <clears throat> Verse 29, let the prophet speak. Let two or three prophets speak. <coughs> Excuse me. And let the other judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by the first, let the first keep silent. So look at there. Pardon me. When someone starts prophesying and something is revealed to another one sits by, that's in the flow of what's being said. Whoa, wait a minute. Hey, that's what the Lord showed me. This happens all the time in church. Man, I interrupt me anytime. I love it. I don't, I don't care what kind of role we are. When the Holy Ghost is all, all of a sudden and it's still on track, I was like, oh, wow, come on, bring that. I'm out the way. Or if someone else is speaking, it man, bring it. We are encouraging every member's input and voice in this thing. But every member also has to see what the, what, it, what the scripture said. Watch carefully what this says. Look at verse 31. For all, you can all prophesy one by one that you may all learn and all may be encouraged. Look at that, everybody. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Let me speak to that. I can't help it. The Holy Ghost just came on me and I had to do it. No, 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 no. No, stop that foolishness right now. If you can't help it, you're demonized. You understand this? You may have the greatest prophecy in the world and we're ready to hear it. But let me tell you something. You've got control of your own spirit. The spirits of the prophets. They ain't talking about the whole. You're not in control of the Holy Ghost. 
You're in control of your own human spirit. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And hear it again. If you're bold enough to put it out there, please understand that everyone speaking can be judged by everyone there. Whoa, you're wrong. Stop. You're out of you're out of bounds. Is that fair? I think the fear of God needs to be there. If you're going to open your mouth, please bring what the Lord's saying. Not just some foolishness you just thought up. That's fair. Come on. Let me tell you something. The early church, when... Peter, John, and just done that great miracle at the gate, beautiful. And they were called in by the Sanhedrin. By what, what we tell him, don't speak in that name anymore. You stop that. And they saw the boldness. He said, man, if you're being questioned by, by we're going to tell we ain't apologizing. It's by Jesus Christ who you killed. You crucified him. And it's in his name. And it's in his name that this man stands before you sound in this perfect soundness before you all. And they looked at Peter and John. They said they took note that they were ignorant and unlearned men. That's why I love to be a preacher right now. People look at me and say, man, he is ignorant and unlearned. And that's good. But I've been with Jesus. They, the only thing they had different, they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. And that's all I ask for anyone in a house church. When you've spent your time with Jesus, bring it to the church. But if you just fl- flying off the hip and off the cuff, man, please be con- have a little of the fear of God. Just because you think you've got a, uh, some, you just, a platform to speak, it's, it's in for you to shine. This is to give glory to God. Look, I know there's a lot of people out there who say, well, yeah, we want to do house church because, you know, it's real casual and everything. And, and we could just come up with all kind of stuff and just make up our own deal. And, you know, we could have beer drinking house church and we could have, you know, we all shacked up house church. And we don't come here. Don't ask me. I, don't, I ain't endorsing none of that. I'm endorsing a holy church. With a holy love. For a holy God. And a holy people, please, let's build a church that God would be glad to dwell among. Stay with it. You all may prophesy one by one. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. It's out of the control. Bit. I couldn't help myself. I had to. No, no, no. You can help it. Stay with it. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. Now, I know there are people who say, well, you know, if, if somebody's speaking in tongues, that's confusion. No, it's not. Been a lot of meetings, buddy, 40 years of them. And I'm just telling you right now, it's not confusion of someone speaking in tongues. Now, I've seen meetings that are in the flesh in tongues. I've seen that. And it's confusion in that. It could be barbarism. It could be silliness. It could be foolishness. I've seen charismatic churches get so much in the flesh that it ain't got nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. You're just drumming up all kind of manifestations. And it's, and it, I, I, that is, I don't endorse that one bit. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for the power of God. Let me tell you, His Word is Spirit and the Spirit is life. And let me tell you, the Holy Ghost, once that the Holy Ghost has come upon us, we are empowered to be His witnesses. 
That don't make us goofy. It don't make us weird. It don't make us freaky. It just makes us empowered to speak the word of God with boldness and effectiveness. And you might not even know the Bible. Look, I don't think the Gadarene demoniac knew, knew the Bible. He got delivered. He said, let me follow Jesus. I'll follow you. He said, no, no, no. Go home and tell your friends what great things I've done for you. You might just be out there testing. Can you imagine the Gadarene demoniac on day one? Huh? <laughs> the day after, the morning after. This dude done walked up in town, found him a set of clothes at Goodwill or somewhere. And look, he's out there, boy. Huh? I'm the guy in them tombs. Cutting myself. I'm the one who would let you pass. I'm the one. Jesus touched me. 2,000 hogs got killed because the devils that was it. Come on, somebody. Me. And all his friends. Wouldn't he be a great preacher? Like Jonah on day one. <laughs> Never mind. I won't go enough. Let me tell you, I believe there's some great preachers out there in, in the sound of my voice who could testify of what good things God has done in you. And man, it would be so edifying your friends and family to sit around your table and hear it and they would come back for more. Stay with me. Look carefully. Let's hit this important point. Let your women keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak. They are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is a shameful for women to speak in church. Now, this passage has gotten a lot. There's another companion. I'll read it to you. Uh, let me read this uh, second one here. Excuse me. One second. Um, I'm on page um, 118, top of the page, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Let a woman learn in silence with submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first, formed first then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with self-control. And so these two passages have gotten all the press about why women shouldn't uh, say anything in church. Now, I personally don't think it's a really good idea to make all your doctrine based on two corrective verses. But I'll tell you this much. I believe precedence about what women can do and not do was set on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, when we get to the ministry of teaching, we've got a new ball game on our hands. And when a man has to submit to the teaching of a woman, I think it's a bad thing. I believe that a woman holding office is an unnatural thing. I don't believe it. I don't buy it for a second, as a matter of fact. Although she may work as an apostolic worker or even a prophetic worker or even a pastoral worker. My wife's a 10 times better pastor than I ever dreamed of being. A hundred times better. My wife's a great pastor. Okay. But she don't teach the men. And if she does bring some sort of teaching, it won't be that she usurps authority. It would be that I say, look, my wife just my wife can teach on this or she, she could teach this. But she don't have no man has to submit to my wife. My, the Bible says wives submit to your own husband. He never tells the men to submit to the women. It doesn't do that. So the bottom line is this. I will never stop the gift of the Holy Ghost that's flowing in a woman as she's going to prophesy, especially when she's going to edify the things of Jesus. I ain't going to do it. 
And so the precedence was set on the day of Pentecost. Man, Philip had seven daughters who did prophesy. Think about it. The first people who ever evangelized, truly evangelists, Mary Magdalene and the other women from the tomb said, he is risen. They were the first ones who had the keys to the real full gospel. Because they witnessed the death burial and then they were the first to say, he's risen. Women. Take that up with God, preachers. Priscilla, the wife of Aquila. Notice this. You know, whenever you know a couple and you say, you know, you, you seem to say the dominant name first every time. Hmm? I ain't calling no name. I ain't going to say it. But every time, six, four of the six times that this couple's mentioned, it says Priscilla and Aquila, not Aquila and Priscilla. I got a feeling this lady was full of the Holy Ghost and power. They took old Apollos aside, who was a great orator in the law, and they taught him the way of God more perfectly. I could see that woman put her head on his head and giving him the Holy Ghost. Could that be? Well, I don't see. I don't have a problem with that. Get mad if y'all want to. Help yourself. I was with Brother Chuck King. We were, where were we, Chuck? We were in Peru or somewhere, and I preached a sermon on that night, something on the book of Revelation, and there was a lady pastor in the church. She was a lady pastor. I remember Brother Chuck was out there. I saw he said something earlier. And so he, he won't mind me saying it. And he got up there and he said, ma'am, I'm so thankful that you are willing to serve this church and pastor this church. And God bless you for your efforts. And he turned his attention to the men out. In that, he said, I'm ashamed of you men out there who ain't got, we ain't got one man in the house who could pastor this flock. Boy, I said, come on, Brother Chuck. That's what I like. Come on. He's a good brother out there. And that's what it should be. But to be honest with you, if there weren't some women in church, most of the church would be almost empty. Consider Phoebe. She was a servant of the church in Centria, a port in Corinth. Lydia was from Thyatira. She was a prominent businesswoman. Her home became Paul's headquarters. You get the point? I don't believe these ladies were just over there making coffee all the time. I tell you what you do. Get you a book about Maria Woodworth Edder, Signs and Wonders. Enjoy that, folks. Without Mother Edder's ministry, go read her book. The miracles were just phenomenal. Now, there's some other ones. Look, there's some contemporary ladies out there teaching that I would just say, y'all need to turn. Well, most of the stuff you hear out there, I know you need to turn it off anyway. Just shut it down. I mean, some of that stuff is just crazy. But don't stop. Don't forbid tongues and don't forbid prophesying and don't forbid a woman to speak. Now, I hear what this is saying, but don't let her get in office either. That was just to harm her and everybody around her. Keep going with me. I hope I'm making my point. Okay. Finally, order. The Apostle Paul closes his whole discussion out. And he said, let everything be done decently and in order. I'm going to get back to order in, uh, in, in, when we start talking about the mission of the early church. I'm going to get back to that a little later. But there's a passage in the book of Colossians. He said, he said as, though, as though I was present with you, joying and beholding your order. And, and, and it, literally the godly arrangement. I really believe in restoring the order of how the church... <clears throat> function when they met is critical to this generation. Restoring order is an apostolic work. 
And we need to see that order put back in the church today. Somebody tell me what time it is. So I just don't show up. I want to be able to. Huh? 47. Okay, I got a few more minutes left. Now, let me get to one more thing. I'm going to cover chapter 12 tonight. Won't take but a minute because we really discussed this a few weeks ago in the breaking of bread. And uh, if you're in, if you got your book, chapter 12, breaking of bread, the apostles doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Now, when the house church meet is so great. Look, the people all through the week, the women are communicating and this is really cool. They're talking and they're emailing, texting, and boy, they're talking about whose house we'll be at and, and what the meal's going to be and who's going to bring what. And it's just, it's kind of so cool because I don't have nothing to do with it. But when I get on there on, on, on the day we decide to meet and you walk in and all those aromas are hitting, coffee's made, and the people are fellowshipping. I've never walked in when it was sad unless something had really pierced the heart of a member. Usually it's just this happiness, this oil of gladness and joy that the people are so happy to come together. Hallelujah. It's joyful. And then there's the smell of South Louisiana cooking. And if you don't speak in tongues, you would. Huh? We baptize our people in gumbo, folks. Huh? Full immersion. Hallelujah. Dark roux. Love it. Come on. Now, joking about the food, but let me tell you something. When we, how is it when we come together, every one of you? And, and, and so all this participation, the gifts of hospitality, when these folks open their homes up and they just can't. You know, there's homes you go in and you, you just sit there because you're afraid to touch anything. You don't feel like you can just do whatever. There's other houses you go in and just you can think you can go in their icebox and see what they got. You know, the, you just feel at home when you get there. That's what I like. Hmm. Hospitality, one of the greatest gifts. You know, people talk, this, this one's anointed over here and that one's anointed. Let me tell you what, I'm going to tell you who's anointed. Somebody who throw their doors open and say, y'all come on in here and eat this food. Let's talk about Jesus. Come on, that's anointing. That's the real deal. I know folks who are so anointed they can preach like uh, Gabriel. Their only problem is they hate people, don't want to be around them. There's that. I remember the guy said, I'd be a great missionary if it wasn't for all these people, all these natives. <laughs> and I mean, not a terrible thing. <laughs> the people, y'all, y'all may have heard that, the pineapple story. He said, he, said they, they, he was explaining to him about Christianity. He said, all the people that knew him, those natives that were there, he said, uh, wow, we'd like to know one of those guys. If you know one, we'd like to meet him. So he was misrepresenting as a missionary. And that can be with any minister. So, in, um, I'm talking, I'm on page 124 in our book. Let's just go through this briefly, real quick. I got a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, like I said, from 11 through 14 is a great run of scriptures. And if you'd really like to get into house church, this would be a great place to study. And look carefully. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. So the Apostle Paul was fixing to rebuke the Corinthian church over what happened when they meet because the mealtime had turned into gluttony and drunkenness. Literally, some people were even bringing alcoholic beverage. Can you imagine to a church meeting? Now, some of you out there say, what's wrong with that? 
Well, I, what you need to do is find out about Jesus Christ who will save your soul. He's our Lord and Savior, and He can deliver you. And if you think it's okay to sit there and be alcohol in, in a church, anywhere, oh, come on, man. What You name me one good thing that comes out of alcohol, and I'll shut up. One. Now, I didn't read that in a book. I could drink anybody who's listening to me under the table back in the day. Smoked more dope and did more drugs. I did all that stuff. And let me tell you something. I got no time to talk about how Christians can drink and do all this stuff. Just don't talk to me about it. Get saved. Quiet in here. Keep reading. For it sounds as if more harm is than good is done when you meet. First, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that those who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Look at that. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have homes for eating and drinking? Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Certainly not. I don't praise you for this. Now, let's just get that scenario. The Apostle Paul was rebuking the Corinthian church. As a matter of fact, all 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is one big long rebuke. To me, Corinth, Corinth must have been a charismatic church, apparently. An ill-mannered, Ill-mannered charismatic church. It was, it was crazy. And he was just one rebuke after another. Now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. And he just had to rebuke one thing after another. And he said, here we come to the, to the meeting. And, and now some of you are bringing food and you eat all your food before anybody. I don't want them to get none of this, boy, because they don't cook as good as me. I want my stuff. Oh, really? He said, I'm not praising you in that. That's horrible. It's a horrible way to live. It's horrible thinking. Let me tell you something about house church. Rich and poor meet together. You hear me? Don't let me catch somebody in a meeting shunning a poor. Huh? I'll make, I'll poke fun at you. I don't care if you, I don't care if you, uh, Elon Musk, I'll tell you off right there in the, in, the, in the meeting. Ain't nobody shaming the poor. You got to understand. We go all going. We, we all, we, it's a level play, playing field at the cross. I love what Spurgeon said in Noah's Ark. He said the eagle, there was one door. The eagle had to fly down and the worm had to crawl up. Same with the church. The proud got to bow down. The depressed got to get up. We got to go through one door. It's called the cross. And if you've been through the cross, you're humble. The idea of shunning a person who has a lower estate or something. Man, no way. Come on, man. This is what was going on in the Carthian church. Look. Look what he said. Verse 23, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. This do and remember to me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this. 
do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes back again. Come on, somebody. So we preach the gospel. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And every time we come together and we, we bow. You see, I really believe the reverence of God needs to be on these meetings. And the holiness of God should capture every heart and mind. That this is a solemn feast. And it's whoever is going to bless this day, that bless the meal, begins to pray and says, Lord God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this bread of life. Thank you that this is the representation of the physical body. We remember that Jesus, your body was broken on our behalf. And in your own physical body, you bore our sins on the cross. And we take the cup and we drink this cup. And we remember that your blood was shed. You loved us and you shed your blood for us on the cross. You poured out all of your life blood and gave us salvation. We remember your death. And now we remember that you said you're coming again so that we eat this to remind us to be sober minded and look for your soon return. Let's eat. Come on, the sobriety involved in this is fantastic. Stay with me and we'll finish it. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the word and un unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and even some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we'd not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. What a great passage. This is the picture of the New Covenant Church meeting. We gather together and when the meeting proper starts, we may open with prayer. Someone may bring a psalm, a hymn. We may have CD music. Maybe somebody will play an instrument. Then the gifts begin. Who's got a word from the Lord? And people begin to share what Christ is doing. Maybe a teaching comes forward. A revelation may come. The power of God begins to flow. And every member is welcome to participate. Prayer meeting breaks out. We pray. And then we eat the meal together in remembrance of Christ. I tell you, I hope it's getting in your spirit right now. I could do that because you can. If you're saved, if you've repented of your sin, you've come to Christ, you can do this. You may even be backsliding. Let me tell you what, I'd help you. Call me up. Send me a message through our Oikos. I'll, I'll get with you. and We'll get you back right with God. Huh? Somebody call me over, man. We'll cook something and eat together. I got that anointing like Jesus. I'm coming to your house to eat. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.